Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to my next guest on the Swim for Tribe podcast. Uh, Rob has been a friend for many years now, a mentor, someone very generous with their time, very creative, and has been helping thousands of swimmers for many, many years. Rob, welcome. Rob from Vasa, no less. Uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, uh, Dan, for having me. And you're very kind to, to say those things. <laughs> oh, it, but it, it is true, though. You're. I mean, one of my later questions was going to be sort of, but maybe we could jump to it now, is, you know, how do you view yourself now? Because I, you know, you've written some books and, and come from an endurance sport background, but I don't think you'd classify yourself as a coach now or a physiologist, perhaps more of an inventor, because, you know, I, I ping little ideas to you and you've helped me with a lot of the work I like to do around swimming. And then, in the, you know, a few days later in the post, uh, a little pack of clips and elastic will arrive and some great idea you've had to help me with something. Of my, how do you view yourself now? And, and maybe you, could you give us a little bit back of your background? Sure, sure. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. And I think the best way for me to answer that is, like most people, um, most people are multi multi-dimensional. And so I think it's really, whenever I can be mindful of this talking with with other people i i realize that there's very little i know about them and it's i'm aware that i'm not aware of a lot of things about <clears throat> about the world and about other people so um anyway i don't want to pigeon pigeonhole myself in terms of um you know one thing that i do or how i view myself but i can tell you what i'm really interested in and passionate about and i believe that it draws from uh, all of the experiences I've had in life, whether that be, you know, with my education or, you know, work experience. I mean, I, I used, as an exercise physiologist, I used to do research at the medical center here on exercise and pregnancy. And then I worked with elite athletes, mostly endurance athletes, um, Nordic skiers, triathletes, uh -huh. runners, cyclists, etc., and did a lot of high, you know, really high-end performance testing, evaluation, and advising. And then when I started my company, Vasa, I was drawing on many of those same experiences because and, and, and discovered something about myself, and I, and I still discover this, you know, every day, that, that I really, uh, I like to connect the dots. And I, when I see a problem uh, or, or a challenge, if you will, I like to draw on my experiences and connect with people that are much smarter than me to try to solve that problem and and pull in you know do it in a collaborative way try to pull in um you know ways to to answer that particular challenge or problem and i found over the years that you know the innovations and even some of the inventions that i've come up with they really are just a collection of those experiences and interactions, you know, with with the other with with other people and with the world. And but it's that connecting of the dots that brings it to fruition into something that's very tangible. Whether that be a, a new book like the one I just co-authored with with Conrad Goringer, it's called um, Triathlon Freestyle Simplified, and then. All of the Vasa products, you know, the Vasa trainer, the Vasa ergometer, and the, uh, a bunch of other things that are sitting in a file drawer, as um, uh, probably will never make it to the 
<laughs> to be to being real products, but they but they're ideas, right? <laughs> so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I view myself. Is like I really am passionate about about helping others or serving other people by um, you know using my creativity to to solve whatever the challenges or the needs are that that they're having. That's and that's... In, in, that, that, that's wonderful and, and I was just going to say to draw on parallels uh, I focus primarily on adults learning to swim faster which triathlon has accelerated as a, as a new area within swimming I mean you know there's in the UK at least adult learn to swim classes have been with us for a long time obviously club swimming university club swimming um, but this is quite a new area and there's not that many products there's coaches that have learned and developed methods but there's not so many products which is some of the things I've bounced to you is that they just didn't exist and I wanted something to help my swimmers stop performing a bad habit encourage a good habit and and you know if you're that way inclined you just as you say join the dots and, and create something new I, I think that's a, that's wonderful well thank you yeah it's and you know it, it's kind of I, I'll be honest with you, it was really by accident that Vasa as a company came to be. Um, when I first started the company in 1988, I had been working as an exercise physiologist with the, um, well, with the U.S. biathlon team and the, the U.S. Nordic ski team, as well as um, I had been coaching some elite-level triathletes and cyclists. And But in, but. But my passion at the time as an athlete myself was, was Nordic skiing. And when I saw the need for the, the, the Nordic skiers and the biathletes to train more effectively, because, basically because of the advent of um, freestyle skiing, or it, at the time it was called skating on skis, but, um, or ski skating, but now it's, you know, they... It's freestyle versus the classic technique, but okay. the, the physical demands of, of um, freestyle skiing, uh, Nordic skiing, are they, they, they demand a lot more from your upper body. So I developed a, a Vasa trainer that was really designed to develop the strength and power for Nordic ski polling, and out of that uh, invention, which which you know you know the Vasa trainer because you lay prone or, or supine on the bench, but on the original Nordic machine that I made, you actually were standing in a standing position, straddling the monorail with your feet down on um, okay. stirrups, sort of like bike pedal stirrups. But and then you would pull on the straps, and the whole your whole body would go up the in, whole body with the seat carriage would go up the incline, and then you'd roll back down. So, but it was really the double pulling motion that I was trying to train, and you know it was really an afterthought that I created the swim bench version of that, but that's the one that took off when we introduced it to, you know, the swim coaches at the American Swim Coaches Conference and, you know, three Olympic coaches, I didn't even know who they were. And they, <laughs> they, they came up and they were going, they were bouncing up and down saying, we've been looking for a machine like this for forever. And that was a machine like the one you have where you're, you're laying prone, laying supine, uh, prone on the, on the bench and pulling yourself up with that, you know, the motion, but they really liked the idea of pulling your body past your hands and developing strength and power that way. So that was from a business perspective. I mean, I really was clueless. I didn't know a lot about it, but I, but I, I just did a hail mary and said, 
let, let's try the swimming marketing. Of course, that's what took off. Well, thankfully, because I, you know, I mean, I just really love to learn and I, I love to observe what other people are doing. And, and it didn't matter what the sport is. I, it doesn't matter to me what the sport is. I love to find out what are the challenges that they're facing and how do we help them improve? It's just what I like to do. And so in the swimming, I just sort of observed for many years and let these guys take the lead and, and learn from these top coaches. And over the years, I mean, now it's been 32 years, I, I, I've kind of picked up a few things from these guys, <laughs> and experts like you, and have learned. And uh, I, I still would not consider myself an expert as a swim coach, but I, I know enough to... You know, to guide somebody and, and help them. So that's you know, cut that, that's fascinating. I think people will be surprised given the success and the dominance in the world of swimming. It, the swim bench for swimming was not the first concept. Um, so originally it was a skiing machine. Country skiing, country. For Nordic skiing, and um, you know, it was really a business decision because at the time in 1988, when I started the company, that we were a little bit late getting the machines manufactured and, and out to the Nordic ski market. Plus, here in the U.S., the Nordic ski market is so small, or it was very small back then. Oh, okay. So it was a combination of, um, you know, we were a little bit late getting the machines out. We sold; they sold okay, but it was really. The fact that these Olympic coaches in swimming discovered it, you know, with it, I guess it was like six months after I had launched the company, and it was just very clear to me that we needed to go down that path. We, we kept the Nordic machine around for a couple of years, but um, I basically redesigned the machine and said, if, if this business is going to be successful and survive, um, we need to really uh, focus on this. On, swim training and and then you know over the years the, this not only did the swim coaches and then swimmers discover vasa but the, the triathletes and even surfers and physical therapists and gyms all discovered the machine without us really doing anything other than just there was word of mouth marketing that happened that's remarkable and and the introduction of the the ergometer machine that helped yes. then lead the way into the kayaking version, a, a more elegant skiing version. So now there's quite a lineup of sports. Is that correct? Well, that's that is correct. I mean, we don't really people use them. Our customers buy the the swimmer gometer um, as it sits now. We actually did offer a kayak version for a while, but we this year we decided to discontinue that. It just it was it was diluting our focus, and we we really weren't putting enough effort. To that, but the current ergometer, the current swim ergometer, in you can get it as a freestanding machine, like I believe, like the one you have, or the the front part of the ergometer can mount to a wall, and and then people can. It's a space saving version, and then people can put their own bench in front of it, or we have a we have a folding bench that we sell. But then that model actually allows people to do stand up paddle training, or or dragon boat and canoe drag canoe paddling they can do um, oh golly like over over 50 functional exercises just pulling on the cords you know you can do it as injury prevention you can do it as um, you know functional strength and power training because because that has the power meter so it has a wide application but we we do as a company we're focusing on on helping people 
um, train for you know, the physical conditioning that's needed for, for swimming as well as um, the technical aspects that you know, the, the machine affords people to um, improve their technique if they understand what to do. What, what was the mo what, what needed to happen so that the traditional the trainer the original swim bench developed into the ergometer how did that take shape well but, well yeah that's a good question so both machines still exist and are still yeah. very useful um, you know, I, I love trainer... to use I love to use both they you know slightly different um, purposes but but you know the fundamental technical elements are all there the the power and strength but just from slight different angles but yeah they've been they've been wonderful working together sorry to interrupt right right no no that's fine i mean and just to be clear that the trainer is is while it, they both do many of the same things and have cross you know they cross over their functions the trainer is a little better suited for um swim specific strength training injury prevention as well as you can, you can do like 200 exercises with it so it's a it is a total body trainer whereas the ergometer you can also do some strength training but it's much better suited for swim specific power and endurance um, and it has the one of the reasons it's more expensive is because of the mechanisms that are involved are very sophisticated and we have very precise um power meter so people it has a digital display so people can uh, you know really uh, understand what their what their power output is and they can measure their progress o over time by doing repeated um, time trials or or what have you you know repeatable workouts and you can just sort of do a, an apples to apples comparison of the workout whereas the trainer it's more about doing a certain number of repetitions or sets of repetitions of, of particular exercises, you know, like you would with a traditional weight training machine, but it's very swim specific. So that's kind of the difference. But to answer your question about how did the ergometer evolve? Well, you know, I thought as an exercise physiologist, again, I, I like to look at metrics. And so I started looking at what was happening in <clears throat> rowing and in triathlon and cycling and the advent of power meters really took over as a as a more useful metric than say just heart rate or you know lack doing lactate measurement is not really practical for most people absolutely absolutely and also i found that you know in my early prototypes with, with you know this is going back a long time ago when we were playing around with this the the fan wheel air resistance of the ergometer i just found that to do for, for doing continuous swim specific training, you know, whether it be intervals of, you know, one or two minutes in length or, you know, steady state for 10 minutes or whatever, the, the feeling of pulling on the drive cords that, that drive the, the air fan resistance, it feels very, very similar to pulling through water, to that resistance of pulling through water versus the, the other model, the trainer, it's more by pulling a percentage of your body weight uphill and then lowering it back down. So it's a very different feeling. And I, I found that the combination of the authenticity of that air resistance feeling as well as um, the, the very accurate power meter data that you could get from the machine, it, it affords the user, whether it be a coach or an athlete, um, it affords that, that user to to really see what they're doing and 
to measure their progress. And it, I think people who use the ergometer um, in a more sophisticated way, they've figured out a way to couple um, the, the power meter data with paying attention to what's really happening with their form once fatigue starts to, to set in. And if people pay attention to that, they'll see that the power numbers start to drop at a certain time period that during an interval or during, say, if, even if it's a five or ten minute steady state, they'll start to also notice their technique falling apart. And I think that allows the, the coach and the athlete a diagnostic tool that allows them to try to understand, well, why is that falling apart? Is, is it just simply fatigue or does that athlete have some old injuries or some niggles that are creating this fatigue on one side versus another, like left arm versus right arm or whatever? Or is it just that they're not paying attention oh, yeah. and they need, to, they need to be more mindful throughout the entire interval? And I would imagine, and you would know the answer to this better than me, but I would imagine that happens in the water. If you, if you have someone, say, doing a 400-meter time trial in the water and they reach fatigue... As a coach, how do you how can you tell that they are fatiguing? How do what metrics do you use to show that they're dropping their elbows all of a sudden or what what have you? Absolutely, I mean it's a very inexact you know during it, it, it's got better at a, an elite level televised Olympic final level where you can you know but it's rare that at a club level you'd have underwater filming during a, a race so you know other than basic stroke count be going going up um, you know the physically watching the stroke shorten it's very inexact but just just to go back a second that that's something we often take for granted that is the feel is how good that the the simulation is of the stroke you know pulling against that air resistance and you know you get on it and it feels like the pulling motion but it's right. it's it's smooth and and yeah, we you've just jogged my memory. We we often take that for granted, but that's a great point. That okay, in previous years, I would say, and in, in interviews, and you know, as an an ambassadorial role and tr promoting the the swim benches, it you know it will um, it will accompany your swim training. It will accelerate your, it, but it won't replace swimming in the pool. But actually, this year has been a little bit different, and you've been very busy this year. How has the COVID problem, you know, adjusted, affected your your business? Yeah, well, we it's it's been we, we've had our challenges because uh, the governor forced us to close the business for six weeks in, in uh, late March and, and most of April. But but the demand has been very high, and so I feel grateful grateful for that. Um, but I wanted to address something that you said about the feel before we, we come back to the business side of things. Um, the One of the most profound lessons that I've, I've learned from other coaches, and in, in one coach in particular is Eric Nielsen, who uh, has been using the swim, the Vasa Swimmer for many, many years. And he put forth a concept that I, it just makes total sense, but I'd never really considered it before. And he said that his experience especially working with adult learned swimmers, but also experienced swimmers when they start to fatigue, is a notion that he, he, he says they, they, they pull with what's called a monospeed 
cold, which means from when the, the point of when the fingers enter the water and then go into a catch position and then pull through until the hand exits the, the water, that's that hand speed, or if you think of the fingertips to the elbow as the paddle blade that the swimmer is using, that blade speed for someone who's swimming with a mono speed pull, it's the same. It might look beautiful. Some people have a really elegant stroke and they, they, they're doing everything correctly from a technical point of view. So a coach looking on in the water might, might say, wow, that's a really efficient form that that swimmer is using. But the thing that's missing when someone uses a mono speed pull is they are not setting the catch and then accelerating the pull from the catch to the finish, which forces the athlete to use the very large muscles of the back, the lats, the back. And if they're using, in freestyle, if they're using a proper timing for rotation, they're also engaging the muscles of the torso. All of those things contribute to propulsion. And I think the, the, the thing that Eric taught me was that there's really two things that adult learn swimmers really should focus most of their attention on. And one of them is a long, taut, strong body line because that reduces drag. And the second is understanding the, the importance of propulsion and the timing of when they apply propulsion because that is what's going to move that streamlined body line through the water um, effectively so that they can cover the meters in the pool faster with less effort because they're, 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 they're going to be engaging the large muscles of the back versus the small muscles of the arm and shoulder. So they, they're going to just have less fatigue, less chance of injury. So the back to the ergometer, you're talking about how smooth it feels and things like that. Well, Eric taught me that when someone swims with a monospeed pull, the air fan makes a, a steady noise. But if you pull, if you set the catch and pull with acceleration, you hear the fan wheel whir at a higher pitch. And that's a biofeedback yeah. that is very, very useful. And you don't get that when you're swimming in the water. That's true. That's true. We often, it, 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 it's for, na for natural swimmers that have grown up with swimming, the, the concept of a slow to fast pull, um, it's quite natural, but it's, it's a very difficult thing to teach to someone in the water. You know, we talk a little bit about sculling to help them feel, uh, create a, a heavier pull on the water, uh, holding the water more effectively, the feel for the, we've gone around in circles with terminology. Sometimes people like to think of it as a light, uh, you know, from slow to fast, also from light to heavy, anything, some, at some point, hopefully something will trigger that movement, that, that movement, sure. but, but, but there's nothing quite like hearing an audio cue while you're on dry land. Um, and again, so many benefits there as well. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I know that people who use the, the swimmer a lot, they, they, once they learn that, that biofeedback cue of the sound of the fan and, they, and they're paying attention to their power numbers, and if they know their body well enough and, and understand when they're starting to fatigue, then sometimes they can override that fatigue and still pull with acceleration and, and still hold an efficient form, which I believe is 
especially for competitive pool swimmers, learning to do that is really important. To be able to, to hold a powerful and efficient technique while you're experiencing fatigue is um, it, it's a learned experience, and it's it's difficult. But I think I think um, the successful swimmers have learned to basically override that and continue on in a, in a powerful, efficient way, even though they're feeling fatigue. Good stuff, good stuff. Now, so let's go back. Your first book was published quite some time ago, and that was more of a, from your background in exercise physiology. Um, that's proven to be a, a real useful guide to many coaches. And then fast forward to 2020 this this new book happened just quite recently or was this on the go for quite some time well we um conrad goringer and i um started it about 18 months ago and we we just last week we actually put it live on amazon so people can they can order a print version or they can get the kindle version the, you know the electronic kindle version and um it's been a bit of a process. Conrad, actually, he's an Ironman certified triathlon coach, and he was a Vasa customer who who has you know he has a swimmerg, and he has an interesting story about the pandemic shutdown, by the way, and but um, <laughs> about using it during during the shutdown. But anyway, make a long story short, is I because he was a customer and somehow he connected with me about a technical question in the power meter, we got to know each other a little bit. And then I found out that he had written a book, a, a wonderful book, by the way. So if any triathletes are listening, I highly recommend his book called The Working Triathlete. And it's on Amazon. And I liked the way that he, I liked his approach. I liked his, um, you know, his use of the Parado principle, which is like the 80-20 principle. And just, it's just cuts to the chase as far as like what's important. And so I invited him. I said, I had had this book idea now for several years, but I hadn't quite found the time to do it just by myself. And so I invited him to, to do it with me. And so we've been working on it ever since. And, you know, again, we, I think the, the approach of, of, of triathlon freestyle simplified this, this new book is we like to look at, um, I, I like to start with with the when someone is exiting the swim in a triathlon, I suppose even in an open water race or a swim run, but when they're exiting the swim, how do they feel? What did they experience during that swim? And I work backwards from that and like, okay, how did they feel throughout the swim? When they towed the line to start the race, how did they feel? What was their preparation like? What was their confidence like? How did they feel physically? And then work backwards from that start line, 12 weeks or 24 weeks, and then ask them the very real question, what did you do to prepare to have a fantastic swim in this event? And you'll find that the answers will vary. But like anything in life, when someone is prepared, they're going to have more confidence. They're going to have greater competence and they're probably going to end up being safer and having a much more enjoyable experience than someone who just is shooting from the hip and, and <laughs> says, uh, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get through the swim and then I'll start my race. But I don't know. Maybe I'm too conservative these days, but I don't want to do a race like that anymore. I want, I want to show up and be prepared for that, that event. They're very, so, they're very expensive now. These triathlon races, it, it would be foolhardy to 
to arrive underprepared, given given just simply that point, no less. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and we also know from you know anecdotally from working with many athletes who who uh, you know we, we have coached or, or in my case um, just they're reporting their experiences of of combining or integrating using a Vasa product with their swim training, and that is that not only the emphasis is, isn't necessarily on completing the swim faster. But the emphasis or the, the stories that we hear from everybody is that because they prepared themselves well, because they used consistency and sensible training, they finished the race feeling fresher. They've, they've expended let, far less energy than if they had not prepared properly. And that's going to, that leaves them feeling better, feeling more confident and enjoying their race. But even, I think it carries over in a triathlon. I think it carries over to a lot more energy for the bike and the run. So the so their overall performance is going to be better. And if that's their goal, then that's then that's a great way to approach it. A, a, a noble and sensible aim. Rob, it was 2003, I believe, that I started with my sister Swim for Try, and we bought our first uh, swim trainer to help, um, you know, supplement learning and, and help clients get the, the basic mechanical principles uh, when we first started Swim for Try. Uh, it's been a, a really lovely journey with you since working, developing, bouncing ideas with you. Uh, I really appreciate all, like I said in the intro, you're, you're very generous with your time. Um, good luck with all your future products and, and ideas. You're, you're just somebody I, I like to listen to and, and work with. So, uh, I, and it would be nice to come and visit one day when all this craziness is, is over. I appreciate you, your time today. Um, thank you very much for a very entertaining uh, podcast and we wish you well with the new book. Well, well thank you, Dan. I, um, I really appreciate uh, knowing you and your time and as I've told you many times before, I look forward to the day when I can come to England and, and visit you and uh, you know, meet you in person. So that'd be incredible. Maybe we can maybe we can join join up and, and meet at Club La Santa one time. So <laughs> oh, even better, even better. Appreciate that. Right. Thank you, Rob. Right. Have a good weekend.